This is Dave Chang. And Chris Ying. We are the hosts of Recipe Club. You may have listened to it before, but we are now back on the air, new and improved, with the same hosts that lose every week. I still don't know what the rules are because they've changed as well. Chris, can you give a quick rundown? Every week, we debate the best way to cook the things you want to eat. We take a user, listener, submitted recipe, and we all cook it with our friends, Priya Krishna, Rachel Kong, Brian Ford, and John DeBerry. And then we talk about what went right and what went wrong. No, I actually really don't want to do this podcast. (laughs) And they are hardly our friends. They are enemies. They are enemies. It's Dave's civil disobedience. If you want to see Dave Chang in an act of civil disobedience, tune into Recipe Club where he will not follow the recipe. I'm contractually obligated (laughs) to make this podcast. (laughs) But I'm here to have a good time. So listen to Recipe Club every week on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibly listed at indeed.com slash plain. Just go to indeed.com slash plain right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. The people at KPMG make the difference for their clients. Talented teams leveraging the right technology to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity. KPMG teams together with their clients working shoulder to shoulder to help grow and transform their enterprise. Are you ready to make the difference together? Go to visit.kpmg.us backslash transformation to learn more. So this just happened. Elon Musk has offered to buy 100% of Twitter and take the company private. This is a special emergency episode, and to break down the crazy news, I am thrilled to welcome Ben Thompson, no relation, the great tech writer and author of the must-read Stratechery newsletter. But first, a brief history of how we got here. So last week, if you can remember back that far, Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, CEO of SpaceX, world's richest human, announced that he bought a bunch of stock in Twitter. So much stock, in fact, that he had become the largest individual shareholder of Twitter with just over 9% of the company. Twitter made it known that he would be joining the board of directors. And this wasn't like some kind capitulation. This was an attempt to rein in the famously unreign-inable Musk. If Musk had joined the board of directors, he would have had to agree not to buy up more shares of the company. And his fiduciary duties would theoretically keep him from, you know, uh, firing off a barrage of embarrassing tweets about Twitter. Soon thereafter, as we reviewed in a previous episode, Musk fired off a bunch of embarrassing tweets about Twitter. He pointed out that none of Twitter's biggest accounts, like Justin Bieber, do much tweeting, which is true. He asked, is Twitter dying? Which I think is not true. And he wrote that Twitter's headquarters are empty and ought to be converted into a homeless shelter. On Sunday, five days ago, Prague Agrawal, the CEO of Twitter, announced surprise that the guy tweeting about how Twitter was dying was in fact not very interested in joining the board of the public company. 
So what was Musk interested in? Well, now we know the answer. Buying the whole damn company. Late Wednesday night or early Thursday morning, Musk offered to buy Twitter and to take it private, saying he believes the company needs to be transformed entirely. In an SEC filing, Musk offered just over $43 billion for the company. By the way, his net worth is just over $200 billion. That offers a 38% premium over the closing price on April 1st before Musk started this shopping spree. It is a huge premium for anybody who is holding this stock, say, at the end of March. Musk called his cash offer his best and final offer, and the share price he offered was $54.20. Yes, Elon Musk managed to slip a little 420 reference into this offer. In a letter to Twitter, Musk wrote, quote, I invested in Twitter as I believe in its potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe. However, since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve this societal imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. End quote. The reaction on Twitter, I would characterize a strange blend of delight and horror. Delight at all this delicious chaos and minor horror about what a transformed Twitter will look like in the future. And that is the history. Now let's talk about the news. I'm Derek Thompson. This is Plain English. Ben Thompson, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining me on very, very late notice. Um, first, I have a couple of very specific questions about what Elon Musk might be up to and how his acquisition of Twitter could change Twitter. But first, your immediate reactions to the news that he has now officially bid to buy the company and take it private. Oh, I think my exact words were "holy smokes," uh, which I <laughs> which I put on which I put on Twitter appropriately enough, but. I'm not hugely surprised. I, I mean, I'm surprised, broadly speaking. If you asked me, you know, two weeks ago, would I be surprised? I'd be very surprised. Am I surprised in the context of what has happened over those two weeks? No, I'm not super surprised. I think there are a lot of signals here that this might happen. Uh, I think that, frankly, I mean, it's quite interesting. Because I think Musk is quite right on a couple of points. One, Twitter would do very well as a private company. I, their current model doesn't work. It's a poor business. I have a hard time seeing them ever reaching the valuation that Musk offered, to be honest. Uh, and part of it is just like, it, it's this advertising model on a platform that doesn't lend itself very well to advertising. Hmm. And it, and it, it's a it's a model where people are, they're, they're intense, they're reading in. It's not a lean back experience where you're just sort of like, on a Facebook or an Instagram, you're scrolling through and there's some ads and you're just, your, your whole sort of, posture and how you consume it is very different as opposed to Twitter, which is very textual. That's why Twitter has a smaller audience. There's like a small, like it's people like you and I, right? We're, we're super textual. We want to inhale information. Just like give me more, 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 give me an IV. And that's not a great sort of environment to like be sucked in by ads, right? It's just, it, it, and Twitter's always struggled the only ads that work are sort of just broad, like brand ads, like the sort of direct response ads that Facebook specializes in, where, oh, 
We'll get this sweater. Oh, I kind of want that sweater. We'll get this belt, whatever it might be, have never worked. And I think they should lean much more heavily into more subscription type of products. But all these sort of shifts are going to be very hard to do in the public markets. And and so from a business perspective, that actually makes a lot of sense. Number one. Number two, the, you know, to the extent that I think Musk's rhetoric around free speech are would are legitimate and he put it in his offer letter so it sounds pretty legitimate he's going to face real obstacles within twitter like that's from everything i understand about twitter internally that's they're not receptive to that and so given those two factors uh i i'm not surprised this happened it was also sort of foreshadowed right when he when he didn't take the board seat didn't take the restriction on his ownership. And when the CEO of Twitter is like, there's going to be distractions ahead. Well, here you go. Here's your distraction. So sorry, that was a, that was a, that was a long, drawn-out answer, but there's a no. lot of interesting pieces going on here. Yeah, there's two. There's at least two pieces that I want to nibble on a little bit. It seems like you're analyzing this from a pure business perspective, and I think that's important, and also from a cultural perspective, which is how a lot of people on Twitter are reacting. How is this going to change the culture in which I marinate informationally every single day? I think you you had one of the a, a great initial observation when Elon first dipped his toe in the water, which is that there's always been this fa- this fascinating disconnect between Twitter's value as a business, about thirty billion dollars, and its impact on the world, which is massive. It feels like orders of magnitude higher than its market cap. No, I, um, I think Twitter is the most impactful product in the world. I really wow. do. Wow. And, and, and the reason is because, you know, it used to be in sort of the analog era that the sort of head of the food food chain was the New York Times, right? The New York Times, you, they talk about you'd write that, then be on the evening news, then be in every newspaper in the country the next day. And it sort of set the agenda for the country and broadly for the world. We have a situation here where the, the New York Times and everything else is downstream from Twitter. Stuff happens on Twitter. And Twitter is not just where stuff happens. And, and, it, and it happens, again, at the head of the media ecosystem. That's why even though Twitter, a small portion of the population is on it, what happens on Twitter affects everyone via the media. But but it also has this effect where Twitter, because everyone's on it, whether it be sort of academics or whether it be like uh, journalists, or, or those are the sort of the, the heavy audience out there, lots of people in tech, it has this sort of harmonizing effect where people sort of, move at, at, at in unison in these different directions you get these sort of mass sort of movements and so you have things whether it be this this wave of support for the Ukraine war and this is not a commentary where that supports right or wrong but the dramatic shifts we saw in Europe for example or the way that people you like this nothing like that has happened previously like switzerland gave up neutrality right like like that like it's it's it it, it was because of the popular fervor and it this starts and is congealed and sort of not congealed, um, harmonized sort of on Twitter in a very sort of powerful way because of this spread of information. The fact everyone's on there, and and this goes back to COVID. Like why why has the response to COVID perhaps not been in line with the relative severity of COVID? Which is you know I saw some study yesterday. The Spanish flu is fifty to five hundred times worse, right? Was but the response to COVID was was why? Well, I think it happened in the era of Twitter. You go back to summer of twenty twenty. I think and I think like these these are sort of ground shaking impacts that that start there. And so you it, it the, the impact is absolutely tremendous. But Again, it's a crappy business. <laughs> There's not that many people on there. Its impact is because it sits at the top of the food chain. And, and so there is this big disconnect where 
you know, this distance always existed to a degree. Like billionaires would buy newspapers for a reason, and we've <laughs> seen that <laughs> because the you know, but but it's even magnified even more so in the case of Twitter. Yeah, you said so much there that I think is so interesting. You know, there, Cass Sunstein has uh, pointed this idea he calls group polarization, which is the idea that if you take a bunch of people that have an opinion on anything, you know, it could be climate change, could be COVID, could be, you know, whether or not Giannis deserves MVP, and you put them in a room together, their views will radicalize because simply by being around people who seem to share the same views, it will it will discourage the softer views and it'll encourage people to speak up more strongly. And Twitter is just this extraordinary bonfire of group polarization. It's this petri dish of micro-revolutions, whether you're talking about epidemiology and pandemics or what people should think about Ukraine or what people should think about Donald Trump or AOC. And you see this over and over again. And I, I totally agree with you that for good and for ill, and we are not going to do a whole diatribe on, on cashing right, no, out how Twitter, analysis, Twitter is good. Right? Right? Yeah, this no. is analysis. Nothing <laughs> yeah, normative here. It's just extraordinary the degree to which you see this group polarization, these micro-revolutions on Twitter. And I think you're right that for that reason, it might be one of, if not the most important player in the entire information space. I want to go back to the business. You mentioned that Twitter is not like television. It is not a lean back experience where you just sort of sit in the couch and lie back and let the ads for F-150s wash over your face. It's a lean forward textual experience. It's 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 almost like an academic journal, which like doesn't have a lot of like glossy ads in it, you know? Um, and I think that's really interesting. So what is Elon, do you think, going to do on the what what might he want to do on the business side because twitter will always be this lean forward experience which means it's not ideal for supplementing with advertising revenue but at the same time turning it into a pure subscription business is going to cut against its role as a a digital public square of sorts so what plays are available for him to raise the market cap of this company that you and i agree is severely underpriced relative to its cultural impact I mean, it's a good question. I, I do think the the I mean, Musk has made comments in line with other comments that I think Jack Dorsey has made about this idea of there being Twitter the service and then lots of manifestations of that service. And so this is a way around like, well, some people don't want to see this stuff on Twitter. Some people want to see this stuff. Well, what if there's multiple clients, multiple ways to sort of consume Twitter, where Twitter actually backs backs into being more of a protocol and there's different ways to experience it. And, and, and so that's number one. There's all this data on Twitter. Like Twitter sort of gives its data away to Google. They do have monetization agreements with different, with different things with, where you can buy like the Twitter feed and just consume the data and you know harvest insights. I think there's a lot more potential there. Um, and I think there's an aspect where I think the subscription business has been underrated. I mean, I wrote an article advocating for that and a lot of pushback, which is very fair and very right, is that, well, you know, people aren't going to pay for this, right? Like the, the, and if you, and if you charge a price for it or that it's going to sort of, you know, reduce the impact because no one's, you know, no one's, no one's going to pay. But you think about it, Twitter's irreplaceable, right? I mean, you mm -hmm. and I could sit here and talk about all the problems with Twitter. And meanwhile, as soon as we're finished, we're going to both get back on Twitter and start Without like, question. Like, information again. No, it's There's so funny. I saw like all these the people. I agree. I saw all these people online who were, look, they, they were definitely left of centers, left of center to far left of center, who said, if Elon Musk buys Twitter, I am leaving Twitter. And I was like, uh, are you no, though? You're not. 
Are you really? I don't think you are. You're as addicted to this thing as I am. And also for people that are in the media space, it's not just an addiction. It's not just alcohol. It is a newspaper. It's an ex- If you curate your Twitter list, it is an extraordinary tool for understanding oh, the an world and being oh, fed information sure. from corners you never would have looked for. Like I, I've, I've compared it before online to um, a library with a food fight in the basement. Like you walk into the library and you want to like go up the floors and, and learn about the world, but people get stuck in the foyer. <laughs> they get stuck in the basement. People are throwing tomatoes and pizza and they're like, oh, that's fun. I'll throw tomatoes and pizza. But if you can find your way beyond that foyer into the elevators and go up into the library stacks, it is an unbelievable resource of knowledge. And people like you and me are just in the business of accumulating knowledge as so many others are. So I, I can't imagine well, There's lots of interesting it. ideas you could do too. I mean, like imagine if you start out for free and the price you pay for Twitter increases the more followers you have, right? Are you going to hmm. walk away? Like I have 230,000 followers or whatever. Are you going to walk away from that? No, of course not. No. Right? I mean, no, like right. it's, 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 it's priceless. Um, so, right. yeah, and it's so not I portable. Think, you can't, it's not, it's not like Substack where you can take your email list and take it over nope. to ghost. You can't right. take your Twitter followers and move them to, I don't know, and we Instagram. See this with the, we see this with people on the right trying to start their own Twitter clones, right? Like completely right. dead in the water. And because you like the network effect is a real, it's a powerful thing. And also, people want the food fight, right? No one actually wants to hang out on a network that's only their side. They want to, like, part of the whole point is to be there and interact with the other side and pretend like you're actually really mad about it when actually it's all you want to do all day, all, all day long. I mean, there's a lot of sort of revealed preference on Twitter that yeah. is very different than when people say their actions belie something different. And so, I mean, it, but, but again, all this sort of stuff, you, you're not going to pull it off as a public company. And again, I'm not sure this is the driving force for for Elon Musk. I mean, again, because of this disconnect, you have a situation where someone can use a fraction of his net worth, mm-hmm. you know, or I mean, buying it is a larger fraction, but it's still a fraction of his net worth, you know, because he wants to, you know, have it more free speech or, or, or whatever his agenda might be. But I actually do think there are, there are business possibilities here. And at the end of the day, one of the weird things I get about, about Elon Musk I was just in this chat group and someone's saying how, about how much they hate him. And I'm like, what? Like, at the end of the day, like, Tesla is a remarkable accomplishment. SpaceX is a remarkable accomplishment. And by the way, one of the single most important strategic assets the US has. Like, mm-hmm. he single handedly has saved our rear end as far as like the future of military conflict and space and all these sorts of things. There's all this dual use implications of SpaceX that no one thinks about or talks about. And yeah, he's done some dumb stuff online on Twitter in particular and said some stupid stuff. But can we have like a, a weighing of the balance here of like the, what has been done and what hasn't? And yes, he got government contracts. He's got all these, those were available to anyone. Like there's a, there's, there's a reason he's the one that actually pulled it off and other people didn't. But it's for some reason he's become this totem particularly like of being on like a right wing or something when his greatest accomplishment is is starting a company that reduces greenhouse gases. I mean, it's it's very it's very weird. It's a very he's, Twitter he's a thing. fascinating guy, and I agree. I think that that you know doing the whole cultural equation is a little bit difficult because on the one hand, this is a genius who lapped NASA while on the side building the most valuable car company in the world, um, and also is a dick on Twitter. Like like all these things are true, and right. I, I I I think it's important to just like put them all out in the sentence. I will say, and this is a point that's been made on this podcast before. I, I think you might have made it too. I think. Kevin Roos was the one who brought it on a brought it up on a previous episode. The fact that Elon Musk 
codes as conservative or at least anti-liberal is good for climate change because it codes his product as anti-liberal, which means that conservatives are more likely to buy electric F-150s, which is not something that was being talked about 15 years ago when it, when electric cars were for people in Berkeley with Birkenstocks. Yeah. Yeah. Tesla's great triumph is making electric cool. Like, like it, 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 and people forget, I mean, we're old enough to remember, this is, an, this is a stunning transformation of the entire concept. Like, 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 I mean, and I, I mean, this is the musk in a nutshell, right? It's like if you index on the the latest thing or the current thing, right? But you like when you look at it in total in totality, it's it's I don't know, it, it's a more complicated story for sure. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibly listed at indeed.com slash plain. Just go to indeed.com slash plain right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. The people at KPMG make the difference for their clients, talented teams leveraging the right technology to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity. KPMG teams together with their clients working shoulder to shoulder to help grow and transform their enterprise. Are you ready to make the difference together? Go to visit.kpmg.us backslash transformation to learn more. All right. Very last question for you. And thank you so much for staying up late for doing and doing this. Um, what's the most interesting thing about the SEC letter itself that Elon Musk sent? And what should it tell us about the next shoe to drop here? Oh, I mean, the, the most interesting thing is that Musk has, from the moment his share was announced, he had total control of Twitter. And the reason is because Twitter had this huge jump in stock price that was predicated on Elon Musk owning 9% of it. And the implicit threat that if he exited that position, one, that gain's going to go away, and two, it's actually probably going to go lower because it's not just that Musk left his position, it's that he implied he doesn't have trust in management. Well, now it's explicit. <laughs> He's like, Twitter is worth a lot, it needs to be private, management stinks. And he, and he's and he and so he offered like a twenty percent premium over Twitter's price, you know, yesterday, which is a very small amount for a hostile takeover. But as he noted, that's actually a fifty four percent premium over when he started buying, and a thirty some percent premium of when he announced that he was a shareholder. And and he said, like, under current management, it's not worth that much. So I'm going to sell. And, and so it's not just it's not just that he's offering, you know, Twitter's accept this price. They have to realize if they turn it down, 
Twitter's stock price can be cut in half, if not more. And so he kind of has them, you know, I mean, honestly, from a from a fiscal financial perspective, it's very hard for me to see why Twitter shouldn't accept this. And this, wow. this isn't a this isn't a company that it has great growth prospects. The stock's been flat for ages. I mean, it, it like, I mean, it, 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 but at the same time, Twitter does have poison pill provisions. He can't go in and get a new board elected. They can issue as much shares as they want to counterbalance his mission. And just very quickly, for those of us who aren't obsessed with succession, what is a poison pill provision? How does that work? There's So there's lots of stuff you can put in your bylaws that basically make it very hard to do a hostile takeover. Like, like you could imagine most of the time that there would be some situation where, uh, you know, you just buy a bunch of shares and you put, or you make an offer and then you call a shareholder meeting and you say, put it to a vote. Shareholders should vote. Who, who gets to decide, um, you know, should we accept this offer or not? Uh, poison pills make that impossible. So uh, sh- they can stop shareholders from calling shareholder meetings. Only the board can call a meeting. Uh, the board is not elected at all at once. They're elected in different terms. So you'd have to call multiple meetings and, and elect multiple board members. They can authorize blank check preferred stock, which basically means they can issue new stock that says, oh, this stock has preferred voting rights. So every stock is worth 100 votes compared to regular stock. They could give that stock to management and say, oh, no, oh now we all voted you. So like basically, it's basically impossible. And this is sort of the sort of stuff that it's disclosed in their 10Ks because in, the reason they disclose it as a risk factor is having these poison pills makes the company less valuable. Right, and it makes right. the company less valuable because for everything we're seeing right now, right. Right, Elon Musk can't essentially apply his fifty-four percent premium to to the company's value and and help shareholders. That's so interesting. Right, so, right, and, and, and it's a risk factor because now they can cover their rent when they reject it, and shareholders can't sue them because hey, it was in the ten k. You knew this was a risk of buying Twitter stock, so tough luck. But if 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 you're betting this, right, that this this uh, podcast, unlike my bosses, is not sponsored by FanDuel. But if if you were if you were doing the odds in Vegas, you're saying that the Musk's acquisition of Twitter now is 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 the highest odds bet. Is the best uh, odds? I don't bet. know. I I don't know. I mean, this this literally just broke uh, like like an hour ago. I would guess that it probably. I, I'm going to say does not happen. Um, but. But I, I don't know. I I I really don't know. I, I'm being I'm being a terrible analyst here. Um, I'm going to say. Um, it probably doesn't, but it, ironically, but, you're being a good be- analyst by pointing out the fact that this is actually just extremely uncertain because the company's 10 K makes these kind of acquisitions unlikely, but also you're looking at the richest man in the world who happens to be very determined as evidenced by the fact that he napped. Well, Lass- there's NASA. also the fact that like, tw- like Twitter's board, despite they have this ass covering position does have a fiduciary duty to their stockholders. And it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where Twitter's stock price reaches this level anytime soon. And so maybe they just should do it. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the other reason why Musk has been effective here is obviously Musk can just walk away. <laughs> I mean, like, and, and he can walk away and he can sell his shares and he's not going to lose that much money because he bought the shares when they were cheap. And that is precisely why he has the board in a tough place because his, you know, there's a term, BATNA, best alternative to negotiated agreement. Musk's batna is very high. He can just walk away. And uh, that's why he can, like, he leveraged them into this position. And they're going to have to make a choice. Ben Thompson, thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Take care, man. Good to talk. 
Many thanks to Ben Thompson for popping on the podcast. There's two other issues that I want to flag at the end of this emergency podcast episode, uh, which is not, or was not as as formally structured as a typical episode is because this news was was so late breaking. Issue number one is exactly how Elon Musk will finance this acquisition. He doesn't have the cash, literally like, money in a checking account, cash, to make this deal. He would have to sell stock. That stock would likely come out of his holdings of, say, Tesla and SpaceX, or it could come from co-financers. It's a big open question what the acquisition of Twitter, if it comes to pass, would do to the public stock values of SpaceX or Tesla if its largest shareholder sells out of those positions? Or who exactly would join Elon Musk to outright buy Twitter, even as Musk is making allusions to the fact that he might gut its business model, advertising, in order to shift it toward what Ben was talking about, some combination of subscriptions and data services? The second issue, I think, It's going to be a really, really loud part of the conversation about Elon Musk, and I'm not exactly sure how I think about it yet, is what happens if the world's richest person becomes singularly in charge of the world's most important information platform? And that was Ben's, I think, entirely credible case, that in many ways, from a news discourse standpoint, Twitter is the most important information platform in the world, even though that importance is not reflected in its market cap. What happens if the world's richest person is singularly in charge of that platform? I don't know, but you bet that we're going to have a reboot of Gilded Age-style conversations about exactly how much power is too much power for the world's richest people and how financial power cashes out as cultural and political power when they have this kind of influence over our news. So those are two issues. The financing question, which I think is up in the air, and the cultural question, which I think is going to be chewed on for as long as this news story is in the cycle. That's all from us today. Thank you for listening.